Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking to Ellie Lee Jansen, who is an artist, a teacher, and a mother, a person with many hats and many talents. And the chat you're about to listen to is a good one. We cover a lot of topics here, from teaching to creating to the Goma 10 exhibition, jumping in and out of specificity and generalized topics, so giving the podcast a little bit of a dynamic range, which is nice. Um, so just before we begin, here's the regular housekeeping spiel. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and how we can support you. And now, on to the show. Ellie Lee's studio is explicitly domestic. While here, she's reappropriating old personal items into new explorative works of art. For her, it's a sort of catharsis, and as such, Studio One is packed with boxes and with piles of fabric and with these gorgeous hanging doily mobiles and beaded dream couches. In the corner, glass candlesticks and rolls and rolls of twine. In the other, a chest of drawers and some textured tablecloths and towels. There's an old clasp full of beads and a whole bunch of eclectica that I can't wait to see what Ellie does with for open house. And now, to illuminate all these objects a little bit more, Here's Ellie Lee Jansen. You are sort of part part of your concern as an artist mm. is is motherhood mm-hmm. and is sort of that this idea of domesticity, mm. right? And yeah. I guess I, I, I'd like to ask sort of like, how does motherhood come into your practice and how has it changed your practice since? Mm. Um, I think motherhood changes you as a person. So for me, having a practice is very inclusive of who I am as a person and having children really changed me and changed the space I had within my mind and how able I was to pursue a line of inquiry or thinking or ideas because you share you have to start sharing your mental space because other needs come first you can't indulge that at the time um and they're they're very enriching things to to do um engaging in motherhood and being there and that connection and that bond that you share with someone uh, with a child but it also is a negotiation of how you come back to yourself and reference yourself and independent thinking outside of that. Mm. So when you're dedicating time to sort of lines of inquiry, was there Mm -hmm. sort of a period where you were just completely unable? Did you have to Mm. reteach yourself? Um, I am going through a process of what feels like rehabilitation. (laughs) (laughs) Not... That sounds more negative than it is. Um, but it there was a period of time um, I had my first child not long after graduating from my visual arts degree and I had worked in um, some creative project work and I then found I couldn't pursue that, that work at that time and juggle uh, raising my daughter. So I was trying to still paint and have a practice but the anxiety it caused me to be pulled in and out of that space um, be, became obstructive to a point that I had to feel 
I needed to put it aside and needed to just engage and enjoy and have a sense of a creative life with creating a relationship and creating a home and that that was a form of creativity in itself and just enjoy that space rather than trying to formalise it and have an activity that required exclusion of those things, which was how that was for me. I was always very curious of people I met that found they could juggle both and feel they could move in and out of a creative space or even a, a space practically trying to set up paints and then having you know a toddler trying to eat a, a paintbrush or flicking watercolors all over the house or something like that um or you know work being destroyed and that kind of thing um but I, I have met people that have been able to do both simultaneously uh, but for me I I found that I, I couldn't maintain um both at the same time during those intensive phases so I did need to put it aside and I would still get inspirations and ideas and sometimes do uh, work in visual journal and just collect and still have some form of outlet but had to take the pressure off um, getting to an outcome in regards to pursuing those things at certain times. So, I mean, it sounds like you sort of, you made this decision in, in quite a considered way and obviously you feel it's worth it was it was it difficult on a personal level particularly early on to sort of go I can't make I can't create Mm -hmm. and having to sort of teach yourself to shift those creative impulses towards towards your kids Mm. it wasn't natural for me it was something I had to coach myself and console myself because I was used to and had been very developed um, a life where I could investigate my own thinking and pursue that. So it was a a little bit difficult initially and it was, it did become being a conscious decision of saying this doesn't, these aren't symbiotic and needing to realise that through feeling like a lot of frustration and realising that that was just how things were flowing and that I could go with that that flow and, and accept that, which meant prioritising what those other needs were in, in my life at that time. But it did, um, it always stayed in the background as kind of a burning fire that I needed to self-regulate and self um uh, reference in you know there'll be a time where this um, can come back and can be a priority uh, so I try to include creativity in day-to-day life with my children and bring that out my my daughter's really into theater and singing and my son loves music um, but they they don't like um doing such a visual work and process work in regards to drawing and painting and things like that so you know, I've gotten to know them as their own creative individuals and try to kind of share myself with them in mm-hmm. that way and modelled it a little bit as an integrated thing as they've become older um, and there's a bit more time for that kind of thing. So, mm. Yeah, and sort of, sort of nurture what are their, their passions and mm-hmm. their, their, yeah. their creative mm. and their, their, their outlets. Um, what was the point... When you, when you switched over and said, well, now, now I can create again? Um, I'd had 
a few points where little projects people had been involved in would come up and I would create work for a project. But I reached a point when the children were starting school where I really thought I I need to be doing something more uh, creative again. And I went uh, with the direction of becoming a teacher, high school teacher, where I would be in an art space and teaching uh, that field with students. Uh, But I'm probably now just creating the time again to do a practice that's that's purely about um, myself individually as an artist and developing that the the thinking and the ideas that I want to focus on I've and what what are those mm. those ideas like what is it that sort yeah. of after sort of you know essentially a decade plus mm. Mm. what what are the ones that are that are burning at you the burning ones the I think for me there's I'm still in an experimental phase of rediscovering what um, are the important things for me to pursue uh, because there's not a lot of time I I feel like it needs to feel very valid uh, and rewarding I've always felt with my art it has been something that comes from within me something that I feel very challenged about uh, or very curious about and wanting to solve a, a deeper understanding or solve um, uh, something that has meaning to me um, and something that that would allow me to grow or transform or reimagine and re-understand the world. And so I've... That's a very long, convoluted answer (laughs) to your question. But um, one area that I'm that I've started re-engaging with is a passion for light and that's not been my focus for the residency but it's a long-term focus that I've had uh, an interest in and I've pursued technical knowledge in that area and I'd like to develop it more in the future in my practice and also as uh, contributing to projects. And my underlying... um, motivation of looking at light is just coming down to the simplicity of how strongly I feel we interpret meaning in our world through what we see and how art so for me poignantly does that and that everything we perceive is basically light hitting our retinal cells so what are the mechanisms what are the processes that are involved that all of a sudden we're having a very rich um, experience uh, internally and psychologically actually breaking it down and looking at what are the physiological psychological and spatial um, dynamics in play that then internally as a our consciousness as a as a human being we're being influenced our consciousness and our understanding about ourselves our relationship to things are being informed by that visual perceptive process and I want to really focus on how light informs that because um, our natural environment has different qualities of light that change throughout the day change our mood change how we feel And then when we come into a domestic space, 
a commercial space or a gallery space, we have someone's made decisions in how that space is lit and the quality of that light affects how we feel. Like almost, almost in terms of like what, what are the cues, whether it be in artificial space or artistic space, what are the cues that sort of lead us towards feeling something or engaging with it in a certain way? Yeah, what are the filters What what um, and how individual are they? Are they things that are common to people that when we're in sun, um, like a sunset lighting quality, uh, does that affect mood across different people in the same way? Or do some people have different references that in that it, it triggers a different feeling and a different perception of their environment or what they might be doing? So the you know, there's works, there's a lot of um, trends I've noticed in in curation in galleries where the room will be painted black and there'll be very warm, dimly lit spaces to view the art objects. So already when you're going to engage in and start to uh, consider the meaning of an artwork, you're being very influenced in your mood and what you're going to be perceiving. So it might make you feel more quiet. You know, how does the darkness affect our psychology? Um, how does how do you feel when you go into a Seven <laughs> Eleven? Depends how <laughs> yeah, drunk I am. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so <laughs> I always notice being in a Seven Eleven, um, and. Yeah, this is just a curiosity for me um, personally and being able to deeply engage with that as, as an artist but also in a, in a context of exhibition display and those kinds of ideas are very interesting to me. Um, I also find metaphorically light is used in writing and films and visual representations for uh, like someone's spirit or transit transcendence from physical Mm -hmm. planes to other kinds of planes and I find it interesting that there's an innate kind of connection to um to light and maybe spirituality or transcendence and wanting to investigate further if that is a learned cultural association or is it somehow innately um, part of our makeup as human beings that those associations are there and investigate um, those ideas so long term that's what um, yeah I'm really interested in pursuing it's like the idea of yeah because I guess like the I think it is cross-cultural mm. the the light as because it's energy right like and light yeah. is conjured yeah by the energy and mm. arguably the quote-unquote soul mm-hmm. could could be considered a, a form of energy mm. um I wanted to ask you about light and I know you work as a teacher. You've mentioned that. Um, Do you find also that light is sort of a valuable part of like classroom engagement? Do you find, do you find yourself incredibly conscious? Cause I know you work across a bunch of schools Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is a better room to keep the kids on (laughs) eyes on me and whatnot. Yes. um, There's a whole heap of dynamics involved in engaging a classroom of students and particularly in an art Uh, framework I can give a very specific example of a school that I taught in for two years uh, with beautiful floor to ceiling louvered windows but uh, not long after I started there some very strong blue shade cloths were installed outside of those windows so all of a sudden the whole light temperature and the color rendering of the natural light had been changed so trying to mix colors 
uh, and, and, and paint in that room was um, very challenged. When you're trying to work with reproductions and, and talk about intricate qualities and use of colour and you've got a really dim projector in a room that you can't shut out um, other light sources and things like that, you, you kind of have to ask them to engage their imagination to uh, see how vivid or how those things might be in play because it's not transferring through um, that reproduction method. And it does help that a lot of students are on computers, so there's a form of um, representation that's, you know, got some quality to it, but it doesn't replace going to a gallery. Yeah. And I guess this is where it's, a very, you know, often a very controlled environment, um, purposely designed to show the qualities of, of different work and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it definitely, and you have to be creative and problem solve in different ways and you have to be flexible to to teach in the arts because the process might require that you let students go outside and work in natural light or in the environment you you they can't all just do the same thing sit at a desk the whole time uh, without adaptions to allow them to to work with the materials and it, the senior syllabus is very individualized so it's not taught um, where students are all doing the same prescribed work. So they start to think about being an individual practitioner and have to make decisions for themselves. So, you know, they have to consider these kinds of things about, you know, you, are you disadvantaging yourself because of the environment you're trying to work in and um, that just improving those kinds of things will have an impact on that they're working visually and they can make better decisions and that kind of thing. Yeah. And... Sort of talking, because you mentioned there, like, something that I think I think is, is a debate that I think I see, like, particularly sort of in, in West End, which is around mm -hmm. sort of, quote-unquote, art as a, as a controlled thing. Yeah. Right? Because obviously there's, mm. you know, public mm -hmm. art and there's, there's art in galleries mm. and, you know, do you sort of have, like, speak for a little bit on yeah. that and, like, the difference of how that presentation works for you and you feel works in general? Sure. Um, I think that all forms of art can exist and I think we're kind of beyond saying this is legitimate art and for whatever reason this is not legitimate art. I kind of feel perhaps we've maybe in regards to um, funding opportunities or, or things like that, some... Um, there's maybe a requirement to formalise things more than what people would like to do. Uh, but I think that the work and the ideas of the artist, that what suits them and what they, how they want to showcase their work is as legitimate in someone's lounge room as it is in an institution. Uh, and both environments will inform how the work's engaged with as well because that the environment is is part of the context in which we're viewing the work so sometimes it's alienates the work to put it into a gallery without all the components and other times you know to put a, a work in in outside of a gallery environment it'll lose some things so I think they're interesting ideas to consider but I certainly don't feel like 
you know, any particular place or, or style of exhibition legitimises certain work more than others. And you can have, for me personally, having really enriching experience is important with art. So some forms, I, I like my senses to be engaged and sometimes you might be viewing work and you might hear things because you're out on the street or smell things and all of a sudden those experiences start to enrich what you're what you're doing yeah so i think it's important that people pursue um and artists and people wanting to to be creative pursue the environment that feels authentic mm. to what they yeah what they would like to do and, and for some people that's how they can relate to artwork. If they go into a formalised gallery space and they feel alienated, it, it's not that's going to um, create a barrier for engaging with, with the work. So, yeah, I think it's good that there... I think, um, and I have noticed in Brisbane, there is a lot more of a consolidated movement for a variety of of means of showing work and of creative practice and I think that's fa that's fantastic it's so exciting and it's part of what I like about house conspiracy as well uh, because once it gets into an institution it's gone through a filtering process and it's been gone through a government process because often because most uh, large galleries are um, government uh, institutions mm -hmm, or at least funded yes at least funded so there's some influence or um yeah some kind of filtering process that's occurred so i think it's really important that uh, that we have these outside inst of institution experiences as well mm. yeah yeah I, th I think so i think it's about it's about striking striking that balance right mm -hmm. like i I often see like art like first and foremost like should at least offer on some level like an aesthetic experience and in terms of what you experience in a public space it's like a transformation of that space mm -hmm. whereas I guess in an art gallery I've always seen it as well you're entering a space that has no set identity mm. like it's not like oh wow they've done an interesting thing with that bridge you know projecting light on it but it's it's sort of like you're just in this neutral space. But it has the rules of the art gallery then as well, yes. which then makes it not quite neutral. Yes. I think it aims to be neutral, but we know that it's um, contrived. It's yeah. not like a natural space. And you can't act and interact naturally. I was a volunteer guide at um, the Goma uh, Gallery for a couple of years. And I've worked in art galleries with programming and children's programs so I'm really familiar with seeing and observing people in a gallery space. And I have worked in smaller galleries where um, you've got a lot of first-time visitors or visitors that aren't, um, they're not coming in with those rules in mind. And it's very interesting to become the role of like an enforcer to, to, to put these rules into place because a lot, a lot of the time art is looking at breaking down different rules and engaging and so there's a really interesting kind of interplay of um, the intention of the work and the effect it has and then how you might need to subdue the impact or the response that you might have so that... Um, that the work is safe and that the space, you know, serves as a, in some ways it's, um, 
a place in which to preserve these objects. Uh, and I think that sets up almost a rebellion for people because that, uh, that work then become, they feel a bit ostracised from it or that they're not allowed to. So there's this burning urge, like I must touch it or interact because I've got this um, experience in really tactile work or work that really invites touch um, visually, but yet you're not, you're not allowed to. I think that's a really interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, and then equally, like, we put on the softcore exhibition over in the Valley. Um, yeah, and this I went along to, yeah. to that one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. But uh, it was funny because there were works you could touch and then it's an equally sort of fraught process for people in the space, right? Um, I think it's, it's so much fun when there's work that you can touch and work you can't touch. And then how do you communicate that without overly... Um, kind of that being more predominant than the work itself, that communication, because you're trying to do a lot of visual communication in a gallery space rather than um, text-based text or, or having, in some cases, they've got people there manning work. And I think there's a little bit more interactive processes of engaging with work where work might be manned or the artist might, you know, have some instructions and I think it's good to think about those things and how do you invite intera the interaction that, that is part of the purpose of the work without alienating or it becoming a barrier um, to just the person having their own experience as an audience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I don't know if we necessarily, if I necessarily did the best job communicating that at Softcore. It's hard. It's hard mm. and it's not something you think about sort of the first time you're doing it because there's a lot of rules you're thinking about, I think, when you're putting a gallery together. Mm -hmm. mm. Do yeah. you often think about the way people are going to interact with your Because you've mostly been a painter. Yes. So the, the rules around paintings are mm -hmm. sort of more or less clear. They're fairly established in most cases. Mm. So now that you're moving into sort of sculptural work using... Yeah not found objects but objects with certain sentimentality maybe mm -hmm. talk a bit about that and what mm -hmm. that process here mm -hmm. is as mm -hmm. well as sort of like does it make you anxious yes. that people are going to come in and mess with your stuff um i'm deliberating at the moment about certain um works that are seeming that i would like interaction with and how much interaction um, would be, you know, would be engaging and not not det detrimental to the objects. So um, I am considering that at, at the moment. It doesn't make me nervous because I feel there's this organic kind of flow and communication. I, I guess there's a little bit of, um, you know, with work it has a preciousness to it so and I have had interactive work before where you you really have to realize some people's responses are going to be really outside of the intention that you might have created it or you know um, experience that you're thinking people will have with it and so that makes it really exciting but it also pushes you as an artist because uh, I think it, it's hard sometimes to just see it as an external object 
separate to you. So you, you almost, you really take that interaction almost personally. Uh, so that's a process as an artist to, to kind of step back once you've created it and put it into a public environment that now you know, it's yours, but it's also in the public domain and it's the audiences as well. And, but it's also exciting, I think, to, to see how people might interact. And I think when people have a sensory interaction, it can be more visceral and more um, engaging for them. And when you engage the senses, it does engage more parts of the mind. And so it can be more, you know, for some people particularly, they really respond to that kind of work, which I'm really interested in for, for this show. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes, but I do plan on having some works that are really invite interaction and I'm considering how I communicate that at, at the moment and, and then communicate that the other works maybe are more for visual display. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it, it's really complicated. I think, I mm -hmm. think setting up rules for spaces mm. that are inconsistent with themselves. Yes. Um, I mean, even, even, you know, Goma struggles with it. I yes. think, um, particularly <laughs> Goma 10, which mm. was such a messy mm. curation anyway. Mm. <laughs> um, it just sort of added to it. Mm. It, um, there's um, a lot of discussion at the moment of, you know, experience-based mm. and almost cross-genre into entertainment with art. Uh, and so I do think that the, the era of quiet or silent non-active observation of, of art objects is kind of mostly something in the past now. What, what do you think of that as a phenomenon, as, as a thing a, that's gone or that's going away? It's conflictual um, because I've had... Um, I remember poignantly being at high school and travelling from the Gold Coast to Brisbane to go to Queensland Art Gallery and I um, encountered the work called Void by Anish Kapoor mm -hmm. and I remember having a, that the a very um, influential and deep experience of what that work is and in that moment I felt I had connected with something that made sense of the world to me and that I felt connected to and it was very um, pivotal for me and informative for me as a person and as um, making a decision that that was the world, how I wanted to, to negotiate the world and being in the world and the pathway that made sense to me. Now, if there's a lot of bells and whistles and, and noises and um, activity. If a work is in, is intended to be engaged with as a very self-reflective um, and, and quiet um, experience for the viewer to allow deeper contemplation, if you're in an environment that doesn't allow facilitating that, then that's prob problematic. Um, but art's got 
that context of reflecting the world and we are in a world that's noisy and um, got a lot of distractions. So Goma Turns 10 was curated to exploit that in a sense it was critiquing as well the the noise and the craziness and how everything's covered in sickly sweet things that are appealing but underneath not really good for us so um or not not able to address all aspects of us and so there was spaces that were very quietly um curated uh dim spaces and then there were spaces that were uh, very loud and demanding so there was this contrast that was looking at those things so i i think it's a reflection of that wider idea that can we have a sustained sense of contemplation and reflection in today's society and i i think more and more that needs to be a consciously decided thing than something that will naturally occur at times in and spaces in our in our life. And I think that's maybe a dialogue or an idea that's like reminiscent across what's happening in art and exhibition is how much do we hold on to what is known as as kind of traditions and things that we might feel deeply important and intrinsic and how much do we change and let it evolve and and add you know more to or change or manifest it and I really think there isn't one way or a right way. I think there's a place for all these different forms of experiencing work and that, you know, the idea of curating it and having that that argument is is part of the dialogue of exhibiting and, and mm. having curators. And so there'll be people that will want to argue each way and there'll be audience that find that... Um, that that has fulfilled a need, a need for them. And I remember doing a little bit of study about why different people uh, will visit a gallery space. So what's important to remember is not just art appreciators no, yeah, exactly. go to a gallery. Especially so they're a, Goma. They're a public space. So we are providing something, a service in a sense, or not not we as in myself personally, but those institutions are providing public service. So I guess that's the argument that, okay, there are spaces maybe like IMA, um, the Institute of Modern Art, that'll provide... uh, I mean, don't don't misunderstand me. I think think a lot of the works at Goma 10 were phenomenal. Yeah, they were really exciting. It was the clogging up of particularly the wall spaces uh, with just work after work after work yeah. after work and you had to grab this big broadsheet that looked like <laughs> that looked that was like the size of a Senate voting paper <laughs> that you had to fold out and go, all right. Well which... that was how they were um, working through their their communicating to the audience to to engage with yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. the works the works themselves yeah. I, I have no I, I don't mm. I don't think that like I, I love, you know pretty much 85% of yeah, what of was at Goma 10, for mm. sure. Mm. I just think that you could have had less. Is <laughs> 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 really more more my argument than, than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Did um, you go into the up 
upstairs. Do you remember the upstairs spaces? Yeah, I really, I I appreciated the upstairs spaces Mm. more. There was, there was, because yeah, you're right. There were rooms like just with the Kapoor work, for instance. Mm. And like the rooms where it was like, no, this is just this one really great thing. Mm. It's like, Mm. that's, even though they were like very experiential works, but that's what I prefer anyway. Yes. Um, Yeah. You know, I I think, I think giving work the space to breathe, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of, yeah, if they if they come in and sort of go, all right, right, we're not going to show everyone's favorite yeah. thing. We're going to yeah. pick like, and maybe it was Gomaten being a celebration. These are all the exciting works in yeah. the collection after this amount of time, and it was like a celebratory style of exhibition than a really focused mm. um, exhibition looking at certain ideas and and certain things. So, I think that the that overwhelm was partly intentional i developed this a a three-phase approach to going to goma Mm -hmm. to see anything because i become oversaturated Uh, my my sensory system can become overwhelmed and i will go to an exhibition and wander and not try and engage analytically with what the work is or what the ideas might be and just visually take it in and enjoy it. I'll just move through the space completely naturally and see what takes my mind um, and my my you know my interest as I as I walk through the space and just let myself um, fully freely experience it. And then I will from that look at the pieces of interest, and I might then go back and then engage more deeply on the things that just intuitively I I responded to. And then I'll come back and re-look deeper and, and I might read about them or look into them a little bit more and, um, and then have some time to reflect. And then I'll often go back a third time. And sometimes when I've pursued more knowledge about works I, I wasn't initially interested in, the ideas when I've read about them, that work has all of a sudden um, become more meaningful and interesting to me and I will feel like I'm looking at it differently. Other times I read about the work and it loses some of the um, importance or um, response that I had. So it, it kind of changes. But I, I certainly don't feel in a, in a curation of that type that I can go in, in in one period of time and get what I could get out out of it I get overwhelmed and my senses are so stimulated I can't take any more information in and um, there's definitely a difficulty to engage in isolation with, yeah. with different things. In but So I have to break it down. I had to develop a strategy because I would walk out just feeling frazzled um, and, and kind of not quite uh, getting into the, um, the relationship with individual works that, that I do really enjoy for myself as like some an audience member. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the single rooms. There, I mean, there are so many good works there. That's yeah. the thing. It's like yeah. just one of them to, to breathe a bit. But um, <laughs> need to make go more bigger. <laughs> oh, I, I imagine turning on the aircon in that building. They like burn a pile of money every time they do. Mm. Um, I don't know if it could be bigger. <laughs> I mean, it could be bigger. Mm. Um, yeah, because yeah, talking about sort of that 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 moving. Um, version of of what art is and Mm -hmm. I think I think 
I think there is a shift definitely towards the experiential works, but yeah, you know, staying on the subject of Goma, you know, the Marvel exhibition was yes. obviously quite controversial. I actually didn't end up seeing it. Oh, okay. Did I you? saw it many times. I heard it was good. It was curated spectacularly. Um, that was one of the strongest examples I feel I've experienced of curation elevating things that I would maybe not normally um, be, you know, organically drawn towards. I happened to um, be doing work with a school that was doing a lot of um, school visits to the exhibition and I was still working as a volunteer guide when it started. So um, I, we get to go in and access those exhibitions as a guide and then I revisited many times with students. So I got to see um, how, you know, teenagers were engaging with the show. And it was just so intricately thought out and displayed. The spaces were really enjoyable. Uh, the work and how it was displayed was just very naturally negotiated and I, you know, you could be uh, informed by it if you wanted to or you could just enjoy the qualities. There are a lot of, I think, there's an initial response to having um, like movie paraphernalia displayed that for some people that's not in, intrinsically connected to um, their idea of what Quagoma uh, is. But having the Cinematheque there, having the films or one of the Marvel films filmed on the Gold Coast, there were some relationships and there were quite a few um, objects on display from artists who were um, on the project to do different um, set costume and prop work. So it was giving a showcase to the skill sets of local um, artists that had worked on the film project as well. So that was all part of what was informing. I was so surprised how popular it was. It was really so popular. Like, I, you know, I Do you know if it got more numbers than Goma 10? I imagine it would have got fewer purely because you had to pay and Goma yes, 10 was free. I but haven't heard the statistics. But it was I always so seen. Full. It was, I don't recall another show where there were lineups around the building to get entry. Yeah. So um, there was some great uh, interactive um, aspects to it if you wanted to pursue that there was some you know fun it was novel and fun and so I guess you know to engage in an art space is that a legitimate audience experience and it you know the it was you were getting swallowed up in this world and it was curated so you could pull it apart and get a little bit more intimate and closer than on the movies there's like a great sense of distance from um, these characters and the stories that they're telling. So for some people they they really love to do that. I love the mystique of the cinema. I like mm -hmm. the, um, you know, suspending your disbelief to get caught up in an imaginary world. So for me pulling apart all the mechanisms isn't 
um, so something. So much what you're there for. Yeah, yeah. but the, the curation and the um, just enjoyment of, of the space and things that I wouldn't typically be drawn towards, I thought was just done wonderfully. So Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah, I wish I'd made it. I spent most of the time that exhibition was on just going along to the Cinematheque and seeing all Werner Herzog's movies for free. <laughs> um, and just every time, you're absolutely mm. right, a lineup. Mm. Just yeah. a massive lineup. Like I was mm. down in Melbourne, I saw the lineup for the Van Gogh exhibition. Yes. It was barely as long as as, as the, the, Marvel. the Marvel one. So it's it's very interesting to see what has um, public appeal, and I always like to think of those things as an entry point, perhaps for some people that wouldn't normally see themselves as wanting to go to the art gallery, and that that exposure, then they realise, oh, I do get something out of that, and then an engagement and appreciation in the arts. Um, can start to grow because the more um, the, f- the funding in that area from a government level is seen as being um, more accessed by more people, then the more legitimate it is to put uh, resources into it. So I think it, it serves a really important purpose in that sense as well as some people that's their, their passion. And I do think with the curation, um, she was also um, dealing with some more complex ideas about society and the need for superheroes and the need what what is the appeal to these figures and these worlds and looking at the psychology of what's happening in society. And that was interesting. So I went along to a student talk uh, where the curator. Um, and the head of learning were discussing those ideas behind it. So I think there's levels for different engagement, um, but that I noticed the lighting in that one was yeah, beautifully lit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and look, hopefully after a year of, of Goma 10 and of yeah. um, the Marvel exhibition, you know, hopefully we can get some more stuff like the Lynch exhibition from a few mm. years ago, mm-hmm. um, which I think is my personal favourite thing that's yeah. been at Goma. But yeah. Um, and then we had Sai Gua Chang a few years yes. ago as well, which yeah. I think attracted large, large crowds mm. there as well. Mm. So, yeah, I think the arts in Brisbane is doing just fine. Yeah, I think so. I think there's something for everyone. Well, um, speaking of something for everyone, is there something for you that we can find you on? That was a terrible transition. <laughs> I really tried to segue us out in like a very natural way and it did not did not work. Um, can people find you online anywhere, Ellie Lee? Um, or you sort of a mysterious I'm figure at the moment? Somewhat of a, a ghost. I have a complicated relationship with um, with. Uh, media and social media I am yeah so at the moment not uh in the future I'm sure something will emerge um but yeah at the moment a bit of a ghost on the uh online world that's right people can find you'll have to come to yeah visit the house yeah people people can find you on the house conspiracy website yeah um and uh thank you very much for sitting down and having a talk to me in real life and not online yes (laughs) thanks jonathan yeah all right thank you thanks cool The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>